Right on, right on, right on. Welcome to the Friday show, everyone. My name is Jeff. If you're new to the channel, hey, welcome. This is going to be a really explosive show. What a guest I have for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy has an incredible story. And I'm going to give a bit of an intro as more people start to come on. Uh, but I think you're going to find this one to be very, very interesting. And what is most interesting is this gentleman, Kirk, has all the evidence to support every claim that he makes. And he has sent it to me. So I have had verification. I've had eyes on. This story is going to be unbelievable for you. And quite honestly, it's it's just a, it's it's really a story of seeing corruption, wanting to do the right thing, uh, making every e effort to do the right thing. And uh, even when getting stonewalled and thrown in jail and, you know, committed to an insane asylum, all the thing, all the tricks that, uh, that these tyrannical governments do, uh, you know, he, this guy has been through it and he's still standing strong. He truly is a ranger who is uh, strong and free. And just give me one second here, because he should have been coming in by now. Let me uh, just send him the link one more time. Give me one moment, please. Okay. Yep. We are live now. All right. I trust he'll be joining. How's your Friday going, everyone? Good to see you. Thank you for coming. I know that uh, you're going to enjoy this show. As I say, we have a great, great guest. Uh, he's just trying to come in. Excellent. Hey, Kirk, just uh, just mute your microphone for one second, if you don't mind. I'm going to give you a bit of an intro, then I'll bring you in. So, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, it's Friday. You're listening to Right On Radio. Thank you for joining the broadcast. Hey, do the likes and shares. Get this broadcast out because this is one that may be taken down. We don't get much censorship on this particular platform, uh, but <laughs> this is going to be a pretty sensitive subject. And uh, and as you hear the story, as you go through it, you're going to find out that the persecution is happening. And particularly where we are in Canada right now, uh, they're literally seizing people's bank accounts and stuff like that. So this show does come with a huge amount of risk. So please bear that in mind. Uh, get like and share, like and share, like and share. Get it out there, folks. Uh, this is going to be a good one. So my guest is a Canadian ranger. And a ranger is... So I guess I would say almost paramilitary, uh, where they are the eyes for the country. They're, they're trained, but they're survivalists. They're in the remote areas. And, you know, they're, they're, they're the first eyes to see if an enemy is coming across the border. They also teach our military how to survive in extreme situations and things like that. And our guest today, Kirk, is a survivor. But what's important for you to know is he's not just a guy who was signed up in the Rangers and doing this for a living. No. He's a very successful businessman who had made a lot of money and has a family tradition because of his adventurous spirit, he wanted to also serve. 
And when he got in there and started serving, he started seeing things and he started seeing what's not right. And, you know, if you've ever worked around anything that has to do with governments uh, in the Western world in particular, you're going to see that there's corruption at every single level. And that's what's going to be exposed today. Uh, So ladies and gentlemen, buckle up, like, get the shares out, please. Uh, We need your help to get this story out. This is his first time uh, publicly giving his story in any sort of interview. Uh, So this is a Right On Radio exclusive, and we want to get this word out. But without further ado, please help me welcome in Kirk Reese. Kirk, welcome to Right On Radio. Uh, Good day, sir. Good day. I hope I was okay with the introduction. I still want to go through your story and have it come out in your words, but I just wanted to kind of set the stage for what people can expect here. And uh, I'm already getting comments saying thank you for your bravery and uh, things like that. So you're going to be very well received. I know that that, uh, and I know my audience in particular, Kirk. So just tell me about yourself before becoming a ranger and let's start from that point. Uh, before I was a ranger, I was a electrical contractor. I did some work in for Gold Corp and Slumberjay and Enbridge pipelines and Warehouser, for example. So I always worked all over the country. I always took my children with me when I could. I was always a single dad, and uh, that's it. And then I, you know, I was pretty successful. So I thought I saw the opportunity to join the Rangers, who I never had any idea who they were. But I went to when they first, the first day they had a meeting and like a recruitment meeting. And I says, you know, that sounds just like myself and my dad. So I signed up that night. My dad signed up the next night. And it was pretty good for a while. But uh, then I started, like well, you said, I started on. noticing. Let me stop there for one second, Kirk, because I really just want to point out to the audience, you know, to be an electrical contractor and have big contracts like that, uh, the person, or my guest here, is not a dummy, folks, okay? Uh, this is a highly skilled trade where he was able to make a lot of money. And I, he shared with me what he had in his bank account. I don't know if I'm able to disclose that publicly. But this is, a, and, and this is a very important point as we go through the story because he ends up in an insane asylum, essentially. Uh, and we're going to get there. So you got to hold on, but... Now, so you went to the recruitment meeting and, uh, and you had talked about your, you know, your, your father and your grandfather had served and things like that. What was it about the Rangers that uh, really appealed to you? Uh, it was close to home. It could help the local people. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we had all the equipment. We had boats and snow machines and planes. And uh, so we were like ideal because we knew the area. And like I said, it was just a, another opportunity to help the locals. You know, that was about it. Yeah, but you're also serving your country. And, and well, yeah, and the country, of course. But, do rangers yeah. serve your country? Yeah, I was in, uh, like Cadet said, I went to military bases when I was a teenager. And, you know, it was a good uh, discipline and such. So I knew it was, you know, another opportunity. I didn't want to be a fireman because uh, there, I knew there was too much politics in the local fire department. So <laughs> that's about it. So what? But what do rangers do? for the country specifically? What is their role? Uh, well, it's protect Canadian sovereignty is our number one rule from 1947. That's what we were all about. And then uh, we started uh, training military like to survive worst case scenarios, 
Uh, we trained RCMP worst case scenarios if they're, you know, a plane crash or what have you. And uh, we also did lots of rescues for people, uh, broken down boats, sleds, or snow machines, uh, plane crashes, uh, berry pickers get lost. Uh, you know, we we were ready to go within, you know, an hour, like all over the countries. I got called to BC here actually for a, a mock exercise and I was ready to go in an hour. Then they said we were just, uh, just seeing who would go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a test and, and listen, it's good to do those once in a while. But, but one thing you told me about the Rangers that I, that was, I was astonished when you told me this fact, Kirk, that, uh, Tell me about the death rate of uh, of Rangers compared to the military. Well, this was it was on CBC. They did documentaries on the inadequate training, of, like the supervision of the Rangers. And we have the highest death rate in the Canadian military, and none of us have ever been to combat. A lot of accidents, lots of suicides, uh, lots of drug overdoses, and such like that. But yeah, it's just uh, I don't know what the cause is. They always say it's poor health and stuff like that, but it could be a lot of things. But either way, there was no one looking after any of the Rangers. It's it's pathetic how they treated us. So Well, but but you're so you're also in very remote areas and you know your your patrols or the things you do are, you know, you have to know your terrain. So you're out there on the snowmobiles. Nature happens for sure. If you know you break down in the middle of nowhere and the snow is really deep, you might not be able to get out depending on uh, you know what the circumstances are, and you know maybe your leg is broken. Like there's all kinds of things that can happen, but also you know when uh, when dealing in isolation and things like that. Uh, look, there there is a tendency to drink and uh, and things and you know and a lot of I believe a lot of. Uh, the Rangers are Aboriginal people who have been suppressed and we've been covering that on this show as well. And, you know, it's purposeful that the, uh, the drugs and stuff are brought into those communities. So that would probably also lend to it, but just the lack of care is what's stunning when you really are the first eyes for the national sovereignty. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, troublesome issues up, up North. Some of the, like the Rangers, that's the, their only source of income. And without them, and I feel real bad about it, but, you know, they'll sign whatever they want or the government wants them to, to, uh, so they get any sort of income. And it's, they're under the thumb of the, their leaders, unfortunately. And I wasn't like that because I always had money. So, so was my dad. So we didn't quite fit in to what they wanted us to be. And that's a threat to them because you're not under their thumb. But one of the first things, and, and this is, uh, you know, we're going to start to break down the story and what you started to observe and things like that. But one of the things that shocked me as well is when you first were telling me your story, that they actually paid you in cash. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we uh, I thought that was very odd. And I said, I don't think that's right because there's too much room for fraud. And he said, that's how we've always done it. Um. And I says, well, I don't, you know, I disagreed with it. So they went to uh, e-transfers for half or something like that. And then I went to work in Alberta for uh, Slumberjay and I came back and they were back to giving out cash. I'm like, oh, here we go again, right? So, you know, I started paying attention. I've, I've never got a T4 in the 10 years I was there. My dad never got a T4. Uh, lots of room for improvement on the accounting side, let's say. But you know what, Kirk, so 
when I think about this, and just as an outside observer, you know, because there's lack of accountability, there's lack of training and stuff like that, it's almost like they want to create a lack of a paper trail. They're, because they're, how, how yeah. can we be by the government and the government doesn't even issue, you know, uh, like any proof of income? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't need proof. They, like it's, they don't have to pay taxes. Most of it's on the reserve and such. But uh, I don't, that's not my, no problems with that. But it was the, you know, people like me that have to pay taxes. I, you know, I couldn't report my taxes because I couldn't get a T4. And I'm not going to sign to the best of my knowledge this is accurate and true when I knew it wasn't. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I'm not going to enable corruption by paying them, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. So then, then after that, and that, that probably just raised your suspicions, but I guess then that's when you started watching. What were yeah. some of the first things you started to see? Uh, well, in 2015, we had a major fire up in LaRange. So they called the army in, which was, everyone knows, pretty much useless. But all the rangers were, a lot of them were evacuated, but some of us stayed. But I was fighting fires be for two weeks before uh, they shut the town down, but... Uh, Either way, they said, Kirk, you're our number one ranger. Keep doing what you're doing. And I sent all my certificates for firefighting, underground firefighting and oil fires. And from when I was in mining and underground and like in 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 the oil industry. So I had my certificates. I had Scott packs and stuff. And Nomex, I had to send all my qualifications in. They're like, perfect, Kirk, keep doing what you're doing. You know, I was out there saving cabins. Like, can't anyone help me? They're like, no. <laughs> he says, but sign all these pa papers because... Uh, you won't be coming in town because you're on your own. So I signed like 30 pages. And then, uh, you know, we got into a few arguments. I reported wrongdoing. And uh, they immediately said, Kirk, you're, you're no longer on the fires. I was like, well, I'm not going to stop saving these people's cabins. So kind of like, it doesn't matter. And I said, well, give me back my, my pay sheets that I signed. And they wouldn't do it. I says, well, that's... So, so why would they say you're not on the fires if you're the only guy doing it and you're the only guy saving these people's lives, their their cabins? Well, there was two of us actually, and uh, we they originally said we were both getting combat pay. I don't know if Neil ever did get paid or not, but we weren't in it in it for the money. But uh, you know, eventually the resources started giving us gas and stuff. Whereas, like, you know, I had I had no money and had no food, and then uh, Robertson's trading gave me a hundred dollars to get food and stuff. You know. And then the fire cash started giving me supplies, hoses, pumps. And they're just like, Kirk, we wish you could, we could help you. But <laughs> like, well, come on then. You know, I pulled up to the fire station to get my Scott packs filled up. And there's like 400 firefighters there. And my truck's pretty much smoking from covered in ash. And, uh, well, we really wish we could help you. I was like, well, get in the truck then. Oh, no, no, we're going to protect the town. I'm like, the fire's not even close, you know. <laughs> it's just, it was just a big you know, big government scam there. And then at the end of the day, I found out every other ranger was getting combat pay for the whole time, <laughs> except me, which whatever. And just for clarity and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm seeing in this particular situation is, first of all, you had money, but the fact is, is you're out in the bush fighting these things. So you don't have access to your money. It's not like there's an ATM beside the oak tree, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know you will want you do run out of supplies. You do need uh, to be replenished. Is is that a good read on that situation? Yeah, yeah. Well, event like I, 
I didn't uh, really need money there. I just need food and fuel and stuff. And like I said, the fire cash eventually, like they had to sneak it out to me first. And then they eventually I could just drive in there with my truck and the, the, the bush firefighters would throw the hoses in and, and pumps and whatever I needed. And they, like, they were all sitting there. A lot of guys were trying to get out, but they wouldn't let them go. It's just bizarre. I don't know what was going on there. But uh, when I was there, they seized like $350,000 just to stress me out a bit more. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty bizarre, but uh, lots, yeah, lots of coincidences. I want to kind of finish off that point. So the firemen and firemen, I assume, you know, have good intentions when they sign up for, you know, fire service. Yeah. But they're being held back and you're just being sent in to go fight the fires, essentially. And so it almost makes me think that they want the fire to go on a little bit longer because they can, you know, allocate money that, uh, and that's going to fuel that of the story, yeah. allocate a lot more money that never really ends up going where it's supposed to go. That is absolutely 100%. And, uh, you know, I actually went on the, I actually went on Op Lentis in, in Williams Lake in 2017 and I know it's the same thing there. As like, I, and I says, don't make me sit around like you did everybody else. And oh no, Kirk, you'll be on it, you know. And uh, I sat there for like three weeks, and I'm like, they asked me to stay. I'm like, I'm out of here. And of course, uh, as soon as I come down to pay, and they deposit my money, and it was immediately seized. <laughs> so of course, I never okay, got paid so for any of those jobs. Yeah. Your bank account. Why did it happen? And uh, and if you want to disclose uh, anything beyond that, that's I, I'm not going to delve into your personal unless you want it to get out there. But uh, tell me, so you're you're out there fighting the fires, and then they seize your bank account. Uh, tell us how that happened. Uh, yeah, well, I got a deposit. I think it was like 190 or 200 thousand dollars or something, and from a job I was doing, and I left in Est- uh, yeah in Estevan. I had to come home to fight the fires, but uh, and then I see they. They seized ninety thousand of that, and then thirty thousand of that, and then fifty thousand, and I kept going <laughs> until I had nothing. And uh, it's like, well, you know, I can make money anytime. So I, I knew I, I thought I had money in the bank to be honest. And when I, I thought I would have this straightened out a lot sooner, but uh, I just got my T fours last fall for ten years. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, I was able to do my taxes and then... Uh, but, they, yeah. but they seized your bank account with no notice. Well, they said I had to do my taxes. I was like, well, give me my T4s. Well, of course, no one listened to me. And uh, I'm not, you know, it's because... Not that I didn't want to pay the taxes. I had the money to pay the taxes, but I couldn't do my taxes. So it's kind of a catch-22. And then, uh, you know, just like last week, they said, okay, well, you owe $64,000 with the interest and so I figured around 50 grand I owed them but they seized over $350,000 in 2014 2015 and I said well just take it out of that and they said well we have no record of that (laughs) I'm just like wow either way I had a record of it so I gave her some information she started I could hear on the computer she's like wow 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 you know in in 10 minutes she found over $230,000 and none of that went to my taxes and, uh, you know, I was supposed to be dead years ago. So I figured, you know, interest on $350,000 at 4% interest, a daily, accumulated daily is a, for seven years, a big chunk of change that someone would have got away with. And they still might, because I still never got a penny out of them. Yeah. Okay, so so let's back up, though, because they, they, they take your money, um, but also 
the reason my perception is, and it's only my perception, I could be right, I could be wrong, but my perception is that because you started seeing fraud, and that's where I want to go back yep. to, you started yep. reporting it, and then they start playing games with you at every single level. So tell me about the first report that you had sent in. Uh, like in 2015? Or, or yes. 2018? Yeah, when you started <laughs> blowing the whistle. Okay, well, I tried in 2015 to report uh, one of the sergeants, warrant officers, was... Uh, conduct unbecoming regarding a, a local woman. She complained and asked me to try to help her with it. So I, that's what started it for me. I was immediately, you know, faced reprisal right there. Nothing ever come of it. I heard out, I found out later that things got worse with her, a lot worse. That's another story. And that's, unfortunately, I have no evidence of that. But either way, I just kept... So what was the accusation, uh, like a sexual in nature? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we deal with a lot of victims of uh, of sexual abuse on this show. So yeah, I was just trying to help her, but uh, audience is very sympathetic to that. Yeah, but uh, either way, I you know I bit my tongue and then just did my thing, fighting fires, and I was eventually able to get uh, my best friend Jimmy Searson uh, as the patrol commander because he didn't never really worked. You know, he had lots of time to do the bookkeeping and stuff, and his wife was the chief. You know, I thought it was a win-win. So after a couple of years, I got him in there, and I thought things would kind of level out. Well, they got uh, significantly worse as soon as that happened. And uh, unfortunately, I had to uh, report, you know, they were still in $70,000 a week. How, how, how uh, did it get worse, and then what did you have to report? How, how it got worse is they were making us sign blank sheets, like all of us, 34 of us or in a, you know, and, I was, and then eight of us would go on exercise. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Oh, we have some extra money. Well, it's the government. They don't have extra money. You know, that's somebody's money. What's the purpose of signing a blank sheet? What is the purpose of signing a blank sheet? So they can fill the numbers later. And, uh, you know, I refused. I went and I said, this isn't right. And then, you know, uh, either way, I, I had enough evidence. That obviously leaves it open to skim off the top. There was, yeah, well, of course, there's no, no auditing, right? So, and then, uh, you know, we, in the Rangers, we, we elect our uh, leaders every two years and they're only allowed to go uh, four years consecutively uh, to, to avoid this fraud. Well, you know, they had picked the perfect people to lead. So what, like uh, Jimmy said to me, he's like, if, if I got to see his patrol commander to get this $60 million for, for, from Trudeau for this wellness center for, for Tammy's wife, right? I said, well, then you're going to have to win the election. Well, they completely canceled the election and uh, uh, they actually uh, suspended me for a year because <laughs> uh, I reported uh, corruption to the RCMP ombudsman or military, uh, yeah, RCMP uh, F division. Of course, they never investigated. I was immediately suspended for a year. But uh, so you I had reported it and then they lashed out at you. Essentially, uh, no. They, they, I have it all. Like I have the emails. Well, no, <laughs> just... You sent me the documentation. Yeah, I, I saw yeah. that. But because yeah. you reported it, that that do you feel that is why you were suspended? Well, that's and because uh, I they didn't want me winning the uh, patrol commander's position because 
I would expose them because they know I'm honest and they couldn't have that. Just like, like the chief of the ranch has been the chief for like 20 years and her uncle was the chief for the 30 years before that. They can't have it go out of family or it's going to expose a lot of massive corruption. Unfortunately, uh, my, like Jim and Tammy are my son's godparents or ex-godparents and she was also a liberal nominee. And I caught them stealing thousands and thousands of dollars right before her, uh, nomination so i sent to the green light committee of the liberals and i sent them they're under investigation for fraud and they actually responded back saying you can send whatever you want if you think it's going to help well i sent lots but they didn't respond bang she was a nominee thank god she uh she didn't get in but she's still the chief and she's still making her people suffer while she and her family substantial gains you know so it's unfortunate. And, and so just for the audience uh, and having some understanding of how this works, when they say if you send in as much as you can to support anything, what that's saying is we want to know what you have there. It's more of a re it's it's more targeting the person reporting than yep. taking the reporting seriously. And uh, you know what, sir? They never saw anything. They never asked to see anything. I, I volunteered. I showed my uh, sergeant major. Because he, he, I don't, you know, honestly, in my heart, I don't think he wanted to do this. So I showed him a few pieces of paper, uh, December 20th, 2018. And he says, Kirk, you're back in. But you got to prove this. Because he couldn't, because he's regular force, right? It would be a career-ending move for him. But I thought I'd be gone. You know, I, I had everything I needed back then, 2018. And now it's 2022, and I have 10 times more fraud it's just bizarre but uh yeah like this so is the longest uh, have you gone to your 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 colonel your supervisor you've gone to the rcmp at this point you've gone to the uh the, the liberanos as i'll call them uh did yeah. you ever go to the opposition the uh the conservatives all of them sir uh some i some of them responded you know i actually just my emails pop up kind of yearly and right now it's like three years so I'll get, I'm getting lots of my messages back but uh, you know even like last year you dropped off uh, something well I dropped off USBs at a lot of politicians places and uh, they said did you get anything figured out yet and I'm like no click you know <laughs> I'm like thanks for your help but uh, you know yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Russell Morassi yeah. was in charge of F Division he was the top cop for Saskatchewan for many years and he retired and uh, I had coffee with him every couple of days in La Ronge at the Motor Inn. And I told him about my problem. And he says, Kirk, you have to report it to uh, F Division. Well, I tried. And then, of course, they didn't do anything about it. Of course, my life was a living hell after that. And guess what? He gets promoted to Lieutenant Governor of Saskatchewan, you know. And he was retired. But I guess, you know, a lot of people that I talk to about my story, they get promoted or they get released. Or retired <laughs> you know yeah it's funny how that works but so so tell me about some of the repercussions because after you started reporting that's when your life was really made a living hell yeah. uh, you had to move uh tell me about how well, here's to move the deal. and then tell me about being thrown in jail yeah well i i knew i was coming down like a friend of mine was an rcmp he was ex-military he came to my house he says kirk they are out to get you it's time to go you know he said that to me i took him seriously I packed up my stuff. Uh, I phoned the military ombudsman and uh, uh, another veteran said, Kirk, you got to phone this number. Well, I phoned them, sent in my documentation while the servers went down for a week. 
<laughs> I'm just like, fuck. Oh, sorry for my language. But uh, either way, I packed up uh, my son in the car and I drove to Edmonton to fight. He says, Kirk, if they release you, like they had a fake election January 20th for my position with no one was invited except the patrol commander's family and friends <laughs> for, and they, they were supposed to have an election for all positions, which would be three patrol leaders and uh, one patrol commander and a two IC. Instead, they just had it for my position because apparently they really liked who they had in there and they were who they had in there as patrol com or section leaders were, were all ex patrol commanders. So they kind of got along well when it came to the paperwork. But, uh, okay, so regardless, I pack up my stuff. I go to Edmonton base to try to file my claims. First thing I do is I go to the hotel and I phone the 911 because I knew what I had for evidence. And uh, they knew what I knew, but, of course, they've never seen any of it. But uh, so they are, are the city police come to my hotel and what's going on. And I'm there with my five-year-old kid. You know, it's one in the morning. I'm stressed out to the max. Tell them I'm trying to report corruption in the military. And they're okay. Well, we can't help you with that. You gotta. So he phones the military police in uh, at the base, and uh, uh, they said they can't do anything about it either. <laughs> I said, well, I just want someone to go there with me, because these are the same same place where I reported all the fraudsters, right? Either way, I go so there. The mil I, military police can't help you with a military police issue. Oh, it That's gets funny. Way, it gets way worse than that. These are just the people at the gate. But either way, I dropped my friend, my son off with a friend's mother. He was ex-military, so they were, I knew he'd be safe. And uh, I go there to this, you know, to the snake pit. And I walk in, and the guys are really nice. And I start explaining my story, and they're like, what are you? Are, you can't be serious. This is, you know, level three emergency right now. I'm like, okay, good. Finally, someone's – I saw the pictures on the wall. They were all special forces, you know. I phoned one of my other special forces friends. I said, do you know this guy? You know, Billy Bowen. He said, yeah, he's top notch. He's good. What's going on? I was like, okay, well, no problem. So I, I trust him somewhat. I told him my story. He's like, this is, can't be happening to you. You know, you're just a ranger. You know, <laughs> you volunteered. I'm like, well, it is. And he says, well, he, but the rangers, they didn't know the rules on the rangers. So he says, I'm going to phone uh, a friend of his, the Lieutenant Colonel needs. You might recognize that name from uh, CBC being a far right extremist. Anyways, that's, you can look that up. But uh, he says, go for lunch. And when you come back, we'll figure it out. So I went to, for lunch and I went to the uh, 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 Legion, you know, for soup and a beer. <laughs> and I walk in there and I see all the pictures of the guys that sacrificed everything for our, our freedom and our constitution and our country, you know. And I, I wanted to make sure that these these uh, ex these guys, the special forces that take the complaints, I wanted to make sure they knew what was going on. So when I was at lunch there, I sent them a couple emails. Okay, when I got back to the base, uh, we can't help you. Come back in a week or so. I'm like, fuck. Uh, you know, I'm just like... <laughs> did, they give, did they give you a reason why they couldn't help nope. you? No, they didn't. So... I you know, I think they expected me to go back home and I think I would have been killed, to be honest. But uh, either way, I went to, I borrowed a friend's truck. And uh, I says, might need it for a while. He's a good friend of mine. He's a yeah, take it. I know you're under a lot of stress. So I was driving a 2017 Denali, like brand new. And uh, so I, no one recognized me or whatever, but 
Either way, I'm, I'm still trying to get a hold of people, right? Well, three weeks into it, I'm getting tired of this. And I'm out of money, of course, because they seized my driver's license and my bank accounts right then. <laughs> but I... Uh, Which, by the way, is exactly what they're threatening to do to the, uh, the well, convoy it's kind of, right it's, now. It's kind of weird because they did this to me in 2015 and 2018. You know, it's they. We'll, we'll get to that. That's a funny story. But either way... Um, at one point, I had four RCMP following me. They were all going the other way. They all spun around with their lights on. They were right behind me. So I got on my phone. I was like, I got four RCMP following me. I don't think they want to get involved with this. They all turned around. They stopped and turned around within minutes. Coincidence again? I don't, maybe. It was all recorded. I, like I had recorders in the truck. And I'm telling my son, you know, I might be going to jail, son. But I've been explaining that to him for three weeks, you know. I said, don't worry, Daddy. You'll get out. You'll be safe, you know. I'm explaining that to a five-year-old kid, you know, but, uh, I'm sick of this. So I, 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 I phone, uh, I, I post on Facebook a few things. Bang. Within half an hour, I get a call from uh, a major. Can you meet us in Esquimo to a meeting? We, and I think I sent you that one. You know, we know, uh, Oh wait, it gets better. <laughs> I forgot. I, uh, I drove through the, uh, the gates in Abbotsford, I was like, oh, if I tried to report it in, in, in Comox military police and they wouldn't take any evidence. This is, this is way above our, our pay grade. Good luck. You know, they shook my hand. I'm like, frig. So I'm wondering how I'm going to deal with this. And I saw Abbotsford uh, border crossing. Well, hey, I can get asylum. So I, I drive right through the, the gates. Well, I stopped and got a six pack first and had a few beer just in front. And then I drove through the gates and, uh, they had their guns on me and I said, look, I'm cool. I just want to make sure I got in. <laughs> They're like, you can't be doing that. I'm like, well, I know, but I got a serious issue here. And, uh, they see what, well, what is it coming on in? So I showed them a few things. They're like, holy smokes, you know, well, we can't help you with this. I said, well, you have to arrest me. He's like, I, I try to get asylum. And he said, no, we don't give asylum to Canadians. <laughs> I says, well, I'm, I'm a refugee. I'm being persecuted in my own country. Like, we can't help you. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me. He's like, you don't want to be arrested here. You'll, you're going to go to jail and your son will be in foster home. I was like, well, that's probably a better place for him right now. He says, well, we're not going to do that. I was like, well, you have to. He's like, why is that? Because well, I got uh, lots of guns in the truck and grenades. He's like, no way. <laughs> where are they? So I, I told him where they were. They found them. They're like, well, we can't help you. You know, shook my hand. Thank me for my service. They walked everything over to the Canadian side. I drove there. And uh, they asked me at the, at the gate, uh, anything to declare any drugs or weapons in the vehicle? <laughs> I'm like, nope. She says, well, we have something yours inside. I was like, well, they're not in the vehicle. <laughs> either way, they, <laughs> either way they, I go in. First thing they do is take Kenneth from me. And uh, they ask him, who's that? And they said, Kirk. He, first time he's never called me dad. <laughs> I'm just like, great. So there's a red flag going off there. Either way, there's about 10 of them around. I showed them a few things. And they're like, oh, my God, this is bizarre. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, arrest me. Let's get this party started, you know. Nope, we're not going to arrest you. But you can't be driving around with the kid. I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave without him. He says, well, how can we know he's yours? Because I don't have any ID or anything. So I said, well, we'll phone his mom. So I text his mom, and I said, look, you're going to call from Border Patrol just to let's, let him know that Kenneth's our son or whatever. Well, they try phoning, she doesn't answer because she's a narcissist, but... Uh, 
I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> see, well, he was at daycare, you know, last week. So you can, or whenever I was, but I, daycare was closed. So I said, you can phone my friend Vic because Vic was trying to date uh, Daisy, the daycare manager or whatever. So they said, well, what's his number? So they just, they phoned him just directly. No warning, nothing. And then they said, okay, well, yeah, he verifies that you're, that's your kid. Well, you know, they never even called the guy that owns the truck. <laughs> and it's a 20s. I could have murdered him and had some check, sex child thing going on. And they just phoned some random number and the guy said, okay, you know, I thought that was pretty bizarre, but the RCMP was there too, you know, by now. And uh, they said, Kirk, well, you can't be driving around with this kind of guns and all, all my survival gear. Well, that's like I said, I taught survival, so I was ready to survive. And I says, well, then you have to arrest me. And they shook my hand, thanked me for my service, gave me back everything and said, good luck. So I knew I was pretty in a bad spot there. <laughs> Either way, a few days later, I posted a few things in, uh, in, uh, Facebook. Oh, in the meantime, Kenneth's mother was worried for her life because there's a lot of drug dealers and stuff. So I actually went to town, picked her up real quick and came back to BC, posted a few things. And then, uh, I get a call from this major to meet the Lieutenant Colonel Meads at uh, Esquimo base. But you know, it says we've been following you. We've been following you for the last few weeks. <laughs> well, how come they didn't try phone me or contact me? Because I'm a military guy driving around with guns and grenades, and a five-year-old kid. You know, when I drove through the border, they said, "Have you been drinking?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just had two beer. There's four more in the back. Are you under in it, taking any medication?" I'm like, "Here you go." You know, <laughs> and then are you under any psychological or doctor's orders? I'm like, "Here's the paper I got from my doctor last week." So bang, 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 I should have been arrested. They took all that, looked at it, and again, we can't help you. That's how they treat the Canadian Rangers, right? But uh, either way... But it almost sounds like you wanted to get arrested here. I did want to get arrested so I could get this dealt with, right? And Because uh, I knew what I had, and I knew my life was in danger. Like they, I knew exactly. They were, they were, I was going to be killed by a drug dealer because they had it looking like I was a, a drug dealer. Well, I knew what was going on. So I got seven years of random drug test done because I saw this coming and that really surprised me. <laughs> so that's the point I wanted to bring out because it sounded like you wanted to get arrested, but it was actually for the safety of you and your child. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I, but I wanted to get arrested on the American side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So regardless, so, I go, t I go talk to the lieutenant colonel. You know, they search my car and everything, and, and the guards are like, Kirk, we hear you're really getting something around. I'm like, oh, yeah, big time. I'm always recording them. And the guys that I'm, I was reporting against are, are marching behind the gates, full uniform, and they're all ex-special forces and Afghan vets, and they all work for Harjit, you know. They're pretty serious individuals because there's a lot of money they're protecting. Uh, either way, I went in and I talked to the lieutenant colonel, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to give them my briefcase full of my evidence, and I'm going to be done my task, right? Well, I talked to him and uh, it was all about, you know, what, what's this? I said, well, the Constitution, human rights, uh, theft, fraud, you know, it's all about that stuff. He says, like, Kirk, <laughs> you're, you did everything you were supposed to do, except you were the only one. I'm like, great. Either way, they let me go and that was February 20th, 2019. Well, coincidence or not, February 20th, 2022, I lose my house because <laughs> they still won't give me back my taxes. That's another story. But either way, um, so they let me go. 
I competed for my hotel room and everything. Well, I took uh, Kenneth's mother back to Saskatchewan because she wanted to go party or something. So I dropped her off and I came back to BC. I drove around BC for a month or so. Um, or yeah, no, I actually went back to Saskatchewan. Oh yeah, when I dropped her off, I went to stay with my friend. He's an ex uh, 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 peacekeeper. And uh, I started to try to file grievances. Well, that didn't work. They kept sending them back. Either way, I got a captain to help me. And he says, you're going to have to get a psychological evaluation. I'm like, yeah. Well, he says, Kirk, it's going to take at least six months to get that done. Well, thank God for my friend that knew the psychiatrist for the military. He got me in that weekend. They did two days on me of, you know, analysis. And it, you know, it was pretty... You know, not a very good report. It says, sounds like paranoid schizophrenic, uh, delusional, sounds like this, sounds like that, sounds like that. But at the end, he said, but he's not. <laughs> at the end, he says, Kirk has to give his documentation into the proper authorities, hopefully within the next two weeks. That was March 28th, 2019. And uh, I left March 29th, 2019 to BC. And I found a good place in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I, I, I waited. The first thing I did was I go to the RCMP and I put my, the barrel of my 45. I said, I want to have a chat with you guys. So I put the barrel of the 45 on the uh, table with my son was there. What's that about? <laughs> I says, look, the next, the next military, I got some serious issues going on. I'm trying to solve regarding corruption. And I said, you guys don't want to get involved with this. I'm doing that as a professional courtesy. And they says, nope, we don't want to get involved with this. So I said, look, if someone comes looking for me, which they will, you got to give me a warning that they're coming. And, uh, you know, here's the barrel for my 45. This, I said, you want to keep it? They're like, nope. <laughs> and then Kenneth pipes up, well, what about the grenades? Oh, that, I felt for them. <laughs> but they let us go. They left us alone. I became part of the community. You know, like, I actually apple dunked that RCMP at the uh, sports day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had my little secret. Uh, you know, I... I was pretty handy here as a welder and a mechanic and an electrician and, you know, the really nice, super nice people here in Bella Bella and they accepted us. And, you know, I know they love my son and they don't really know my history, but uh, some of them kind of got an idea. <laughs> but uh, either way, everything was good, but I had to go get new bank accounts. So uh, I took my gun. I just had a 22, like a chicken gun, you know, and a barrel of a 45. And I took it to the police station and asked them to hold it for me. Because I was, I was living in the back of a truck, you know, a truck camper, like, like in the back of my dually. And uh, so they gave me a receipt for it. And uh, I went, did my banking, came back. I went to pick up my gun. There was a new RCMP there. I'm like, oh, damn, this guy doesn't know my story. He said, how come you're keeping your guns here? I was like, well, it's better than keeping them in the truck, you know, in case someone breaks in or something, you know. Anyways, he pinged my pal, which automatically pinged the military. And <laughs> either way... Uh, one of the military police from Comox Facebooked me and gave me, uh, you know, passwords and codes that they knew where I was. So, okay. Well, before all this happened, I, I told a, a, a friend, who's a good friend now, I said, look, someday they're going to come take me away. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? I says, I want you to promise me you can look after my son. I said, you know, I come from a wealthy family. I have lots of investments. He'll be looked after financially. And just accept him as yours. He, he's like, what the heck are you talking about? I was like, just, just remember that. Well, then September 9th, I take him out of school. 
And because uh, like the RCMP came and told me, I'm like, okay, well, let's get this rolling, you know. <clears throat> so uh, he's at school, and I, I said, look, can you take Kenneth for, the, just take Kenneth? And he's like, yeah, what time are you going to pick him up? And I'm like, eh, mm, probably not. <laughs> Anyways, he's, he's like, what? Regardless, I went to the hospital, and I said, look, I'm not homicidal or suicidal, but I, I'm going to be, they're going to try to make me out to be that. And I says, I got to report to you, because I can't report to the police, because they won't take anything right and so i had to act pretty crazy in there which i recorded everything i was pretty brilliant it's, if, if trudeau thinks he's a drama teacher i think i could beat him but uh, either way <laughs> <laughs> either way i uh i recorded everything i phoned uh, the hotline for mental help for the military and i said look i'm gonna go shoot some guns up at the range and uh they said well we can't help you because my stuff's way too in depth we'll say either way they arrest me under the mental health act which was fine because i wanted to get this dealt with right i didn't think it would be mental health act i thought they would send someone up to interview me right okay well so i'm in the hospital there i got four rcmp guarding me my friend comes in what the hell's going on and i said well you're going to be keeping kenneth until i get this dealt with you know it might be forever <laughs> then they wouldn't let anyone else talk to me but I'm telling these RCMP is like, you guys have the same oaths I do, except mine are more code of service related, but you know, you have to do your duty. And they're like, we don't have to, we don't, we have different oaths. We don't have the same oaths as you guys. Like, yes, you do. <laughs> you know, it's just a different code of service discipline. That's it. Anyways, four of them guard me all night. Like I was some sort of ninja or something. I'm like, whatever. I, I showed them where my, my 22 was. They, so they took it back, you know, cause I got it like the day before or whatever. But, uh, they couldn't find the grenades. <laughs> the kids were telling me they were in there for two days looking around. <laughs> but either way, um, they put uh, admitted me under mental health act, and they tried to. They flew me out the next day, and I says, "Well, they said, well, we're gonna have to medicate you to put you to sleep for the plane ride." I was like, "I used to jump out of helicopters, and we have three planes. I'm not. I'm not scared of flying. Like I can fly them for you if you want." And they're like, "No, we're just worried you're gonna freak out in the plane." I'm like, "I'm not gonna freak out in the plane." <laughs> they said, "Well, no, we have to be drugged." into unconsciousness i'm like no way he says well then we can put you in a straitjacket i'm like sure put me in a straitjacket so, no problem me, i just i gotta stop right there yeah so when people fly all the time uh, people yeah. go on tourist helicopter things they never say we have to drug you unconscious for a guy okay, that used so to jump right, out of helicopters yeah i know it's bizarre yes exactly. <laughs> exactly. so i'm like so yeah, yeah. They wanted to inject you but instead you suggested hey instead of injecting me Give me uh, a straight jacket. Yep. And then so, tell me what yeah. happens. Well, they put me in a straight jacket and then they knocked me out for two days. I woke up in uh, Hope Center in, in uh, Vancouver. Are you still so, there? So they put yeah. you in a straight jacket and then they drugged you. And then they drugged me. and uh, Because you couldn't stop them. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and I says, like, I don't do drugs, you know. Before I left, I went straight to the doctor and I got a drug test. I got all my blood tests done. I got a full physical and Kenneth too to make sure that we were both very, very healthy when I left LaRange. And uh, I don't do like, and then they, you know, I get there and they says, well, Kirk, we're going to have to give you these antipsychotic drugs. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to take any drugs. I don't need any drugs. Kirk, you think the military is out to get you and there's a conspiracy against you. I'm like, I don't think, I know, I can prove it. Either way. Yes, you can. <laughs> either way uh you know i was always calm i'm always a very calm and polite guy it even says that in all of my reports <laughs> but uh 
after a week, I was able to see a doctor for 10 minutes or something like that. I'm like, Jesus. And then I, I see people are walking around with iPhone or iPad just listening to music. So I asked the nurse, I was like, can I have my, uh, my iPad and my USB charger? They're in my, my bag with all my goodies, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. So they give it to me. I couldn't believe it because my iPad, or I mean, my, my little uh, iPad looking like it's actually a recording device. <laughs> and my, my USB charger is actually another recording device. And my pen was actually another recording device. <laughs> I, you know, I've, very I'm writing notes in my book here that I like. I started this book when I was in the the hospital. You know, <laughs> when okay, so I can tell because the date September fifteenth is when they let me have my pendants and stuff, and that's when I started recording everything. So I was playing along with him and talking to the nurses and like, Kirk, you're never gonna get out of here. I'm like, yes, I am. You know, it's against my human rights. They weren't weren't giving me my medication that my doctor says I had to have. And they were trying to give me antipsychotics, which I don't need. And then, Kirk, if you don't take these, we're going to force them on you. He's like, well, then there's going to be blood on your hands. And uh, so I, I wrote formally, I'm not taking him. Uh, and I says, look, I want to copy this letter for my records. And so they quit trying to get me drugs. And uh, then, you know, the nurses were, and they were all nice. They changed them out every day. And they said, Kirk, you're never going to get out of here if you start, don't stop saying it's, it's you, you believe in conspiracies. Like, I'm recording you right now. And she's like, how? I said, well, that's my business, not yours, right? So she, you know, transferred. Finally, I was able to see a doctor. And uh, there were some crazy people in there. I felt sorry for them, but I certainly wasn't one of them. But uh, I see how hard it is to prove you're, you're sane in a mental asylum. Because no one wants to deal with that. It's better to just give you drugs. Well, you're supposed to get a tribunal after 21 days with a lawyer by law. I went and was able to talk to a doctor who was also ex-military and uh, I asked, uh, he says, Kirk, you, you can't be believing in, in these conspiracies. Like, I can. He says, can you prove them? I was like, I can prove absolutely everything. Go get my briefcase. It's in your office. He says, how can you prove everything? I said, well, because I have everything recorded. And he says, I'm recording you right now. And he says, how's that? I was like, that's my business. I says, how do you spell your last name? He says, you don't have to be here anymore. He wouldn't spell his last name. <laughs> so they call the... Oh, yeah. He, he calls the uh, uh, military, and they said they're going to come pick me up in a date. He gives me a three-hour pass. <laughs> so I walk out, and I just had uh, my army pants and a regular shirt, and, and I, I walk down there. Oh, look, there's a liberal nomination office <laughs> for a nominee. I walk in there. I said, look, I want to show you some stuff. I think we got a serious problem with your leader. And uh, so I got the email and I emailed her right there. And she's like, oh, my God. I'm like, I know you got to deal with this because uh, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Either way, uh, I walk out and I go down the street. There's an NDP office. I walk in there. The lady is nice and bubbly and all happy and happy to see me because uh, I told her I was ex-military. Or actually, then I was still serving. I told her my story sent her an email she was crying i can't believe this is happening to you you know i was so happy when you walked in because i thought i had your support <laughs> i'm just like yeah you, you might I all you care about is their power yeah so uh either way i'll go i go back to the uh hospital there and uh the military picks me up the next day uh a second lieutenant and a captain and uh, they take me to cabela's and he says we're gonna do some shopping in here we'll meet you back at the car in an hour say because they knew I wasn't trying to run or get away. I wanted to 
give my story and my evidence, right? And I wanted to be released uh, without a section, without an F or five F release, which is either way, that's another story. But uh, so I meet them back at the car in an hour on the ferry to Victoria. The city police call me, and they say, "Kirk, it was reported that you went to a liberal." office and an NDP office in full combat fatigues and were threatening Trudeau. I says, well, that's somewhat accurate, but I wasn't in full contact fatigues or anything like that. I don't even have that. But I, I was threatening that I could put Trudeau in prison if I could get this released. That was my threat. And he says, well, and I have all this recording because my phone automatically records to this device, <clears throat> but uh, can you give your pal to uh, the captain? <laughs> so they already knew I had a captain with me. Either way, I gave it to him. I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit, whatever. I'm sorry, I don't care about Anyway, so I gave it to him. And then we go to the military base. Uh, and I was supposed to do my paper, my release paperwork there. But uh, the, the captain locked the keys in the car. <laughs> so I went to talk to the MPs for the military police and tried to give them my evidence. And they wouldn't take it. They, they're like, I'm like, well, here, keep it. You know, keep, the, keep the, some of the paperwork. Because I know I have tons of that copies of that but i i said well take a copy of these uh usbs and they wouldn't do it i'm like wow either way they take me to a hotel and uh so you get comfortable we'll come back with the paperwork and we'll take you for supper so they take me to supper block away or something and had a few drinks but remember it's supposed to be an alcoholic druggie right and i just got out of a mental yeah. hospital <laughs> either way they bought me a few beers and a nice supper and then it comes down to signing the release, and it says right on there, 5F. I'm like, I said I'm not going to release on a 5F. Either way, they said, well, you, Kirk, you have to. I'm like, no, I don't. You guys figure and, it and out. what would the release on a 5F indicate? Uh, unsuitable for further service. Well, okay. yeah, the, we, have to, yeah. we have to make sure the audience yeah. understands what it means. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm fit as I was when I was 30, you know. And uh, my mental, and this is... It's still spot on, you know, but uh, we didn't get hired for our physique. We got hired for our brains and and our ability to survive, right? And, and to, like, protect Canadian sovereignty, for example. Either way, I said I went sign it, and they're like, Kirk, you're stressed out. Do you want some company tonight? I'm like, company tonight? What, are you going to hook me up with one of your cousins or something? And I was like, no, I don't want company. <laughs> but I thought that was freaking bizarre. Two female captains and second lieutenant. I hope they weren't referring to them, but either way, um, I went back to the hotel room. They gave me $50 to catch a cab to the airport. I got back on the plane, went back to Bella Bella as if nothing had happened. And uh, any questions so far? Well, so I guess just, just to kind of wrap up, because you still haven't had any resolve to this, but you've actually been witness to millions of dollars of of misallocated funds. Let me let me put it in, in that. Well, way. I just know, I just know from one weekend it was seventy thousand dollars of cash that was could have possibly been misallocated when they had thirty people sign sheets that weren't going on this exercise. Right. And right. you know, when I come down to it, all of my through the Freedom of Information Act, I got some of them back, and they were all signed not by me. You know, so there's a and that you know what. Uh, I forgot. Uh, my last rescue was August uh, 29th. Ed Trombley in the Round Saskatchewan was in Barry Pinker that got lost, which my patrol commander wanted him to die. He tried to call off the rescue, but I went. I said, screw that. I'm going to go rescue him myself then. And I, we did. We helicoptered him out. 
And then a week later, we got shipped to Alberta to do a quad exercise with Lieutenant Colonel Meads. And, uh, you know, that was when Jimmy said he, he was awarded $16 million for, for his wife because he's pretty uh, adamant he was going to maintain control of the patrol. But that was the first time I saw a legal, a legal pay sheet for the Rangers because we were just filling them out on little homemade pages. <laughs> and I was like, whoo, bang, this is exactly what I needed. Because whenever we were on exercises and signing our papers, we always had to do it in our own little groups because we started off at getting $100 a day for like a snow machine or whatever, or $100 a day for a truck. And then eventually it was 150 and then eventually it was 200 since I joined in, in 2010. Well, the military police said, Kirk, in 2008, it was $200 a day. So they started us off on the wrong foot. <laughs> and, but uh, One thing I want to point out to the audience, and, and this, is, this is how most of the Western world works, for sure, in Canada. And I just want to point out, so, you know, every single town has many, many departments. They have snow removal departments. They have grass cutting departments. They have you know, public works departments and everything else. And so what happens is, is every department gets a budget. And let's just, for sake of a round number, you have a budget of a $1 million budget, but you only spent $400,000 that year. What happens is if they submit that they only spent $400,000 of their $1 million budget, they'll only get $400,000 the next year. So what happens is they have to get rid of this cash. They purposefully, and, and obviously there's opportunity in some departments for skimming off the top and people getting rich off the dole. And, and by the way, uh, then they're, what they do is they contribute to their local political party and then they're protected. Uh, that's how the entire system works. And, and by the way, they're protected by people who have things on them and that's why they play their part in the system that goes on. But man, this is so rampant, and you know you've been through so much, Kirk. And uh, I can hear your integrity, your ethics. You know, you could have just uh, signed on the dotted line, but you decided to to go with your heart and go with what's right, and really to the detriment of your family. And you're, you know, uh, that that's a tough call for anyone to make. But it really, it, I commend you for. Uh, your bravery in doing this. And I thank you for your service as uh, everyone. We have an international audience here, uh, but I know everyone appreciates the service that you do. So what, what, what's the next step for you? Where, where do you go from today? Oh, I, we can't hear you. Your voice is very low. Oh, oh uh, here you are. January 20th. They had a fake election. Uh, and they sent a warrant officer up to discuss my issues, right? So he came, he asked me over to the hotel. I told him what I had. He's like, Kirk, you have to quit. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll quit. Or we're going to give you a 5F release. I'm like, okay, it's on now. I says, I'm not going to get a 5F. I was going to quit. but Because I, I knew I, could, I thought I'd be able to figure it out. But either way, I says, look, I got all this stuff. I'm not going to quit. He says, Kirk, think about your family. Think about your babies because I, you know, I new, newborns and stuff. Think, you know, think about them. I was like, I am thinking about them. I'm thinking about everybody's kids and babies, you know. And uh, he started crying. <laughs> He's, he knew I, I says, if I had to do it all over again, I would have to because wrong is wrong, right is right. 
anyways, it was pretty much on right after that. So as far as my goals now, I'm like, I'm hoping this gets out and I, I'm, I'm hoping someone can take my evidence and I have tons. I have all voice recordings. I have emails from Trudeau and Harjit saying they're going to look after this. And unfortunately, like, I wish I was proven wrong, but no one can prove me wrong. That's why no one's even tried to contact me. They're hoping I'm going to die. Well, there's, which they also, the military, also, military, military also say, says I am dying. Well, there is a friend of the show who can, uh, who can definitely help you. And, uh, he, well, he, he, so the person I'm going to introduce you to, uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know, that we've had, uh, Kevin Arnett on here, uh, a couple times now. And, uh, Kevin has been very, very powerful in doing tribunals and things like that. And actually the, uh, the last Pope, he even got the last Pope to, uh, to leave his tenure early. That's how much effect this is having in international courts of justice. And he's, he's in BC and, uh, <clears throat> or sorry, he was in BC. He had to vacate because of threats on his life. But I'll definitely be able to hook you up with him, and uh, and you can present your evidence. And I'm uh, pretty sure he will want to run with this. So uh, we're not going to leave you high and dry. We're going to stick with the story, and uh, we're going to follow it and see what happens. But uh, you got to. Uh, we this is a faith based show, uh, Kirk. So just. Uh, for your reference, you're going to have a whole bunch of people praying for you along with myself. Well, can I say one thing is, uh, there's no way I could have pulled this off by myself. I'm not that smart, you know, and, uh, I know someone was looking after me and my son and I prayed every night, you know, I same prayer as like defend the defenseless, help the helpless, uh, protect the children and, and protect the good people. Amen. You know, and we've been saying that for over three years. I'm in, uh, I'm in good shape here. Like I'm broken. I have, you know, I've cashed out my civilian pension, but I was able to buy a boat and I've got a beautiful girlfriend and she's super awesome. And my kid is very well looked after, even though the military says they question my ability to parent under my uh, mental illness. Uh, but the locals have a different opinion of me here. So I've never met my, the people that have said that about me either, but uh, I've never met anyone from Veterans Affairs yet. And it's been over three years. So yeah. God is looking after us. That's yeah. for sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, incredible. Well, we're gonna we're gonna be definitely praying for you, and uh, we have a we have a special prayer on uh, Saturday night, and uh, and I'm definitely gonna bring up your name uh, on this. You know what? If they could pray, not so much for me, but for my daughter, who I haven't seen in three years. Her name is Amber Smith, and she's seven years old. People say, "Why don't I give up?" Well, because I'll never see her again. That's why. But yeah, it's a pretty weird story. Either way, thanks a lot, sir. Well, hold on before you go. Uh, is it okay <laughs> if I pray for you right now? Oh, please do, sir. Yeah. Well, Heavenly Father, you know the man, you know his heart, you know his family. And Father, first of all, I pray him into the kingdom. Father God. But Father, we pray for your hedge of protection. We pray that you send your angels to guard him. And Father, we pray that you break this distance between him and his daughter in particular. Father, you know what it was like to be separated from your son when he went to the cross for you. So Father God, I you know that anguish on your heart. Father God, break this. Lord, break it wide open. We need justice in this country and around the world, God. And yours is the only hand that can do it. We do our parts, Lord, but we're just we're just little foot soldiers. You are God. You are the most high. 
and we know you're capable of this. So, Father, I pray you touch Kirk, you touch his family, Father God, and you put you protect them most of, but you also bring them back together. And Lord, do it in a way that is exposing and glorifying of your hand upon it. I pray this in my Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, sir. No, thank you very much. Hey, you've been listening to Right On Radio. Make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, share the show if you if you thought this was good. And uh, we appreciate you all. Uh, don't forget, look, he fought for his country. You can fight for your country, too, if you're in North America in particular. Uh, hey, go to mylibertystand.com. Switch your dollars away from the cabal. Get better stuff for your family. Uh, you know, it's a, and it protects jobs. It's just everything is right about it. Uh, Jesse and I are 100% involved in it. So go to mylibertystand.com and remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor and make a difference in your community. And Kirk, I'm going to phone you right after we get off here. Okay. All right, sir. Have later. Thank you. Bye-bye.